Bob and Kel Clevercast for the week of August 12th, first end of the first week of um, ESPN's mysterious love affair with Little League. Can't imagine anybody's watching. All the family and friends are in the stands. More on that in just a bit. Very excited to announce a new celebrity impersonation. What makes this unique is that we don't yet know the name of the person I'm about to impersonate. Uh, all we know is um, it's a child. He's six years old. He lives in Newport News, Virginia. He shot his teacher. Shot his teacher in the uh, hand and arm with uh, one bullet that was in the gun borrowed from his mom. Um, while the teacher is uh, off tending to uh, the blood that's flying out of her body, another teacher comes to the rescue, takes the child by his little black hand, takes him to the principal's office. And on his way there, he says, uh, have you heard this story? Have you heard this recap of, yeah. of what's going on? Um, he says to her, I did it. I shot the bitch dead. So I think it would have sounded something like this. I did it. I shot the bitch dead. <laughs> well, you sound like Cat Williams. <laughs> never, never one to let a uh, business model get past me. I'm uh, now at work on a, a children's book called oh. Did You Shoot the Bitch Dead? And uh, you uh, conjugate sentences like I shot the bitch dead. I is the noun. God is the verb. Bitch is the direct object. Uh, dead, I guess, is a modifier for the um, direct object. I don't know what that would be called. But um, very excited about uh, that business uh, opportunity. Will you read the audiobook or will Samuel L. Jackson? That's a great idea, Samuel L. Jackson impersonating the player to be named later. We still don't know his name, and we may never know his name because he's only six now. Maybe when he's 18 or 21, we'll know his name, but that's uh, I shot the bitch dead, kid. That's a, that's a great idea of him just inhaling some helium as he's reading the book and makes his voice go up as he says the motherfucking plane. <laughs> We're going to use that news from Virginia, an original slave state, to segue into your review, Kel, of your uh, visit to uh, South Carolina. Did you hear? Oh, nice. Did you hear uh, screaming and bullwhips cracking as uh, I Neil Young predicted in his song of long ago? I didn't, but you could hear faint rustling. You could hear it in the background. It's it's pretty. They have a smile on their face, but they're toting a gun in their bag. Um, it's hillbillies and rednecks here and there. But I tell you, I have a special, special heart part of my piece of my heart for those people. God, God bless them, as they would say. <laughs> uh, not that long ago, I saw an interview with a reporter for Mississippi Today publication which uh, broke the Brett Favre misappropriation of funds scandal at Mississippi State. And it really moved me how much these people love where they grew up, despite the sins of that entire region. If the United States were a city and uh, the states or regions were districts, you've seen maps of cities uh, 
like let's say Minneapolis, uh, you'll see one district over here and it'll be labeled and another one up north, uh, let's say Northeast. Um, if, if the map of the United States were a city from Texas, original slave state, Texas, all the way up to Tennessee, you would see the word slavery. And and th that would, you know, be a uh, little capsule version of uh, that portion of American history. I spent a week per year in the late 70s in both Richmond, Virginia and Birmingham, Alabama. And it gave me the willies. And I know I was probably hypnotized by a certain slant on those events. Uh, one good thing did come of it in the subterranean bowels of the uh, uh, Birmingham Jefferson uh, County uh, Civic Center. Uh, a door opened as I was making my way down to the court level to grab a player for an interview after a match. A door opened and a little houndstooth hat peeked out. It was freaking Paul Bear Bryant, ladies and gentlemen. Bear Bryant, seen in person in the flesh by yours truly. I'll never forget that, barring wow. Alzheimer's. That was quite the quite the memory. Yeah, I, so, I we there was plantations all over. You could go to our slave quarters, and we didn't really partake because I was like, "Do you really want to spend the money to?" line the pockets of these ancestors isn't that the people who own these plantations aren't they just the ancestors of the original slave owners past year down to gen through generations it was an odd odd idea that was the creepy feeling for me was that in both states uh, no matter how you know uh, nice and hospitable the people were and we were their guests uh, and i've always admired that about people uh, you know uh, making uh, ways uh hospitality wise for their guests I, I just you know it's weird to know that you're surrounded no matter where you go by the descendants of plantation owners right out of django unchained did you see the movie django unchained i did yes that's uh that's a wake-up call man it is speaking of samuel l jackson he was he was the house uh inward there doing the plantation owners bidding Mm -hmm. quite the performance uh he's not beyond portraying the occasional heavy so uh, uh, assuming that this child uh, will play a little league someday and wind up on espn what do you make of the network's love affair with little league i can't imagine that it has any kind of ratings whatsoever as i was growing up it was pretty much related to us however subtly that our athletic exploits meant absolutely nothing except to our family and friends and school officials and whatnot. And then I moved to Minnesota, turn on Channel 9. This is probably 1983. And I see like ninth grade volleyball being telecast live on Channel 9. I'm going, where am I? Is this some sort of parallel universe? Oh. I assume they're still doing oh, the yeah. tournaments on Channel 9, hockey oh, yeah. and basketball. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, everything, yeah, the hockey tournament is still the probably one of the biggest ones in the country, if not, yeah, for, for definitely. And then, um, yeah, basketball, girls, boys, all of those tournaments are still very popular. The only thing I can think of is just hockey parents, soccer parents, basketball parents, they're all cut from a different cloth, you know? I mean, I, I try to be a part of those groups, but man, they are intense. Sometimes they just want to, they're only happy if they have a championship. God forbid their kids not having a good time, but man, they just, if they can, it's another excuse 
for adults to drink too. I've never seen more drinking than on these hockey tournament hotels. Good Lord, people are just... The only sport uh, that um, meant anything in the uh, original slave state where I grew up was high school football. Yes. Uh, entire small towns would shut down on Friday nights for your Friday night lights type uh, cortical fever that was uh, high school football. And those events meant something to those people. Uh, and, and to this day, they're playing high school football in major stadiums oh, yeah. in the uh, tournaments to end the season. No matter how small your school is, you could want to be wind up playing in, you know, where the Cowboys play. So um, high school football is still is, is still the rage. Look at the last picture show that goes all the way back to the 50s. Right. And the and the guff that the kids had to take from the townsfolk the next morning about why they couldn't tackle. There's just something about high school football that I think even out measures college football. Uh, there's just something about uh, going to see Friday your night. local high school, especially homecoming, mm -hmm. play football. It's just uh, like nothing I've ever witnessed. Yeah, you never probably saw much of the game. You were under the bleachers making out with Betty Sue, I'm guessing. Uh, or smoking pot or something. or <laughs> something. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I have the, the Little League thing, I, I turn it on once in a while just because it's just an oddity. But you, the only thing I really notice is there's a bunch of little guys and there's always one giant kid, whether he's mm -hmm. just as fat as can be or he's just as tall as can be. He's a man among boys. And it's mm -hmm. just like, check that kid's papers, because I don't think I think he came on a boat from Cuba, something. There's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> In my graduating class of Little League players, we had a kind of Lou Alcindor rule. Uh, uh, if it were basketball, it meant you couldn't dunk. But this was baseball and they forbade the use of the curveball mm. because they thought it would throw kids arms out of joint. So they mm. were forbidden from throwing the curveball. It was all very helicopter parody for some reason back then uh something else i'm very excited about today is to announce uh the release of a new album and the reuniting of a famous twin cities band from the 1980s going back on the road and back in the studio again paul chris slim and tommy are back together again the replacements huh. ladies and gentlemen do you recall the replacements oh, of course i love them I Except now, of course, they're really, really old. And because of their age and their infirmities, they've had to rename themselves slightly. Um, I have a mock-up here of their oh, new no. album. I thought it was very clever of them. Very clever of them to... Um, to I know what it is. I think use, I know what it is. To use a, um, a medical mm. <laughs> a prospectus from Cedars-Sinai as their... Uh, as their new name the hip replacement right yep yep i i was gonna write that down and then show it to you after you showed me to say we were on the same page with that one i like it that you can yeah. still see my jokes coming down fifth avenue at first i said replacement hips because you could go replacement hips but i get the hip replacement because hip is like they're cool daddy oh they're the cool replacements they're still very hip musically from the two songs that i've heard which sure. is uh, where did i put the prevagen and then I've fallen for you, baby, and I can't get up. Oh, um, those are, are very popular now in the senior citizen format radio stations across the country. They're still very musically hip, 
and their hips are artificial, hence the name hip replacements. Is it so this seriously is happening? Or are you are you doing this for the jokes? Is totally it, a put on. Okay. Totally a put on. Ah, just another just heavy. another excuse. Just another excuse to reminisce about um my former wife's hip replacements. <laughs> and um and my offer to take at least one of them off her hands as a memento, given my role in blowing them out during our Tory courtship 40 years ago. But some people don't have any sense of humor. And I, uh, you know, I was hoping people to use it in a glass jar as a paperweight or something, but it's not, it's not going to happen. I don't know. I was kind of hoping you were right there. I was hoping the replacements were making a comeback, but oh well, never to be. They're actually, re I, re they're re-releasing uh, one of their albums, Tim, uh, remastered. But they're not replaying. They are in the news right now, but. They're not going Taylor on it. They're uh, not rewriting, no, re re-singing no, it. No new product. No, okay. just remastered. <laughs> Hip replacements. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could only hold that in for so long. I know. I feel like you've been sitting on that one for a while. No pun intended. <laughs> with the hips sitting on it for a while. Yeah, they uh, were quite the uh, uh, binge uh, drinkers and uh, druggies back in their day. I'm really amazed that only one of them has died. Yeah. And you remember the disastrous Saturday Night Live uh, appearance? And uh, I guess within the past couple of years, they re-released a uh, live uh, album from the late 80s, someplace in the industrial Northeast. Still a prolific band and uh, real uh, pioneers, if you ask me. Uh, so it's uh, no surprise that given, you know, the ravages of time, uh, they would have to change their name to Hip Replacements. Another... Um, project I'm working on uh, is called, and this was uh, inspired by um, his recent start for the Houston Astros against uh, my angels. It's um, a little book called The Verlander Diaries. And it's uh, a day-to-day -day of uh, Verlander in the off season uh, and uh, hopefully getting to the mystery of why he bothers to play baseball anymore when he could be spending the rest of his life just sitting on the living room sofa and watching the wife walk by in a uh, bikini top and um, cutoffs. That would probably put you on that perplexed scale of ten, over 10 if for some reason you heard Justin Verlander was divorcing divorcing Kate, right? I mean, that would just blow your mind if, if he ever decided he wanted to move on from that. You remember that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza just wanted to shake the hand <laughs> of this woman he was lusting after? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. I would just like to swim in their pool because yeah. I have to believe the pool is just is just corroded with Kate germs. I, I you know I'd see him, um, you know, getting an underwater uh, oral pleasure from Kate, yeah, and you, and it would probably sound something oh, like no. this. Oh. <laughs> no way! You told me years ago when we when. Um what was the showgirls came out you said that you didn't buy it that that was happening that kyle mclaughlin did that underwater you said that doesn't no did... what i uh, doubted the veracity of was uh elizabeth berkeley being laid in the water and then if you'll recall her uh pleasure was such she was so overwhelmed with uh, physical pleasure that her head would concussively slap against the water and i'm thinking right. this poor girl's gonna knock herself out oh. and i think 
most people, except for maybe uh, Danica Mori in Italy, would knock herself out. Right. But this is an era before concussion protocol. So nowadays they don't allow that. You'd have to go under the tent. It would not surprise me to read in Deadline.com or Hollywood Reporter or something like that. that Elizabeth, or in the Elizabeth Berkeley would, uh, you know, have some CTE problems like your uh, typical yeah. well, uh, 70-year-old NFL linebacker. Yeah, well, I mean, like I'm guessing that the Vivid Awards, they probably have like an SB type section where it's like greatest hits, the biggest, the biggest jarring hits. And I'm sure your gal, uh, Danny, has probably got that award a few times. If I'm asked at the end of my life, if I You're have asked? any regrets, oh, okay. it, 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 my regret will be that I was never asked to bring her on at the AVN Awards uh, with a <laughs> keynote speech of some sort. To bring her on. My latest uh, a Pornhub discovery oh, no. is that there's some sort of attachment that can be looped around the member and it's pressed against the affected area. And as it as that's being done, the woman has a remote control for the vibrations in the attachment. And it just, you know, sends her into outer space. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Do they like, sell those in Lutheran land? Is this like the fleshlight? Isn't that the the fleshlight with the, you've heard of that? No, I haven't. Tell me more. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt. <laughs> there's, there's a contraption that I'm looks like expert. a expert. That looks like a flashlight. I feel like Larry. I feel like we're interviewing Larry Flint. <laughs> I I don't even know how I know about this. I think I read it in an article someplace or a book. yeah, that's it. I read yeah. it in an article. It looks like a flashlight, and it's got on the end where the 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 light would show. It's got a female. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I saw that. It was in Consumer Reports. <laughs> what kind What kind of rating did it get? <laughs> I think it was three and a half stars. That you will see that she will see three and a half stars. And she is gouged uh, by the member with the uh, attachment loop there. It was pretty amazing, I got to say. You'd think that by now they would have said all there is to say about the basic peg A slot B proposition. But so many kids these days, not. been there, done that. They need something more. I, I'm sure that's the case. I was really hoping that this early in the podcast, we would not have to do any Pornhub reference. <laughs> How is how, what's Brad up to these days? I can see this. Brad hasn't come up with any new new product lately, so I'm guessing he's nursing a hamstring injury. Down <laughs> down in Charleston, there's like a row of different restaurants. They're all over the place, little little mom and pop restaurants. And one said Newman's Coffee Shop, and I'm like, Brad, you came down here and you opened up a little coffee shop and Pornhub. It's just a wonderful thing. I love. Maybe it. that's why he has such energy for the pistoning. In the uh, when things get hot and heavy, as we're nearing the end of the of the little tape nugget there, that's where he gets that energy is from the uh, 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 fair traded, uh, locally sourced coffee. I didn't know that Sebastian Joe's had coffee. I've just been to their website looking for Christmas gift ideas and seeing if I can have some pints of Sebastian Joe's sent to friends and family in the Twin Cities. Wouldn't that be a fun thing to get? Uh, on dry ice on your front porch at Christmas time? Oh, like the same thing when you came back from California once and you brought me Jack in the Box tacos in a <laughs> Oh, man. Now you're best. talking some good eating. Best ever. <laughs> um, 
I'm very story intensive for this podcast. I've been collecting a lot of stories that don't even necessarily have to do with me. Here's one of them. I heard this on my handicapping, sports handicapping show a few days ago. So the story is about 20 years old. The woman from Hawaii, uh, uh, first time in the United, first time in the lower 48, certainly first time in Vegas, checks in at the Golden Nugget. Okay. And she's there to meet a friend. And uh, she has some time on her hands before checking in. So she puts a $20 bill in a machine called Megabucks, which I'm totally in the dark about because I don't do slot machines. And um, she puts the $20 bill in and all hell breaks loose. Buzzers, bells, horns, the whole nine yards. And and uh, Golden Nugget employees rush over to her. She says later that she thought she'd won $1,000. And one of the employees points up to the the flashing a sign that says she has won $18 million with a $20 bill. They said, give us your, your um, identification, your driver's license, and we'll go get the documents and come back and see to it that you're paid. Well, of course, she's paralyzed. She has no idea how her life has changed, right? $20 to win $18 million. She didn't even look to see what she was going to win if she'd won it, right? Probably they come right back, back 10 minutes see. later. They come back 10 minutes later with the documents and uh, with a real glum look on their faces. She's wondering, what the hell's up? And they said, you're 19. You have to be 21 to play. So from having her life changed to being escorted out of the casino by security, what a rags to riches to rags tale. I just thought that was a fabulous story. And I hope you do, too. Yeah, great. You should make a movie out of that. That sounds like <laughs> fascinating. A short movie. <laughs> I read. Uh, I read this about uh, the Taylor Swift era's tour. It was a um, a piece in uh, the New York Times because they were looking for um, different angles on the whole Taylor Swift phenomenon. And people uh, up front who paid eleven thousand dollars per ticket had tears streaming down their faces. They were crying, not necessarily from the expense of the ticket, but the fact that their idol was there in front of them. Can you imagine, is there an artist that that could have that effect on you, either of you? I can't imagine. No, I mean, I like good music. I like good concerts, but I don't think I've ever been moved to tears. Couldn't believe the, uh, the, the what they were portraying there in real life. Also, um, in the um, drive through at a local McDonald's, I see a sign that says, new cheesy jalapeno sausage McMuffin with egg breakfast. Huh? So I order it. Okay. I get it back home and I'm thinking, all right, a new jalapeno flavored cheese on my sausage McMuffin with egg. And you know what they did? I opened it up. They put two sliced jalapenos oh, in my the sausage God. McMuffin with egg. Did you go and back and argue? I just, no, I'm thinking of a lawsuit, actually, yeah, uh, false advertising or something like that. Please do. Don't you, th- don't you object to that? I do. I, I think it's it's dumb. Just do what you do best. Don't try to branch out, you know? And speaking of restaurants, when was the last time you went to one? Um, Boy, that's a good question. While we were on, in Charleston, we went to a ton of restaurants. Okay. Do you ever read the fine print on the menu or fine print on the bill? Have you ever uh, realized too late that the restaurant you were frequenting um, in the fine print 
said that they were adding 20% to your bill to afford medical benefits or the environment or whatever the hell it is for their uh, employees. Have you ever seen that? No, but I have had it where they've put the tip on before you, after you get the bill, and then they also ask for an additional tip. So it'll be, here's, we put 15% on already. Here's a line, another line where you can add an additional tip. I'm like, wow, they're really going for it. But here's what I'm seeing. Uh, it's called a service charge. And they tell you flat out to your face in the fine print, this is not a tip. This is your service charge. Well, if I knew that the person who was waiting on us for an hour Mm -hmm. could make could make like 16 bucks on an $80 tab. And that's pretty, pretty reasonable these days for, let's say a couple of appetizers, a couple of entrees, a couple of beers, 80 bucks. And then you add 16 for the hour you've, you've spent there. I would be fine with that, but I have no idea. No one has done anything to prove to me that that money actually goes to them. I feel Sorry for the wait persons, for the servers, because, uh, you know, all this could be hidden from them. And so I wind up, you know, giving a cash tip anyway, because I want them to have something for their effort, especially if the service was good. Now, do you, do you, I know you're a tipster and I'm not always a good tipster, but you are. Do you alter your tip when, like, uh, according to the service, like, or do you just pretty much say, I give this amount? To everybody. The worse the service, the bigger the tip, because when the service is really bad, it means that the unethical, unscrupulous owner of the restaurant has given the wait person too much territory oh. or they're understaffed and they can't help it if they can't keep up. Okay. I'm reading now from uh, something called uh, Eater, E-A-T-E-R, the local one in L.A., and here's uh, how the service charge is explained. At its core, the service charge is about driving change in our industry. And shouldn't you want to do that when you go into a restaurant? The heck with the meal and the fellowship, you know, and the alcohol. I want to drive change in your industry. I'll, I'll stop here and ask this question. At what point do you surmise that restaurants invented different rules for themselves? That as opposed to other consumer situations, let's say you're in an office supply store, mm -hmm. you buy a, a box of uh, paper clips, and then you realize $8 for paper clips? Why is this $6 more than it should be? Oh, our employees need medical benefits. No, you don't run into that in other stores, only in restaurants. Have mm -hmm. you noticed that? Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the pandemic. They just decided that this is the forum for uh, humanitarian Nism, uh, generosity and whatnot to be enforced, which I object to. And I sent, we were considering going to a tapas bar in Santa Monica and I found out about this 20% deal. And I sent them an email telling them why we wouldn't be showing up because I don't like it when it's enforced. I want it to be voluntary for me to give from the heart. It shouldn't be enforced on me. Agreed. Helping ensure our business can thrive in challenging economic environments and compensating each member of our team in a more equitable way, in a way that uniformly increasing our food prices doesn't allow for. No, what you need to do is you need to increase your food prices. That's what you need to do. And if you can't remain competitive, then maybe, you know, 
find another uh, line of work or get into the uh, the beef sandwich business like in the TV show The Bear. Oh. Because, because I'm not going to take a seat at any of your tables knowing that you're charging me extra and directing that money to God knows where. I have no idea. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think I I think they're also increasing from what I've seen the food prices too. Just everywhere I go now, where I used to be spending fifty to seventy five, now it's an easy hundred dollars for a yeah. you know, family of four. It's crazy. So, um, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's not easy out there. I don't think for restaurants right now because every I mean around the Twin Cities, and we've had a lot of good restaurants in the Twin Cities. A lot of them are closing their doors. Have you heard it? Did you know Psycho Susie's? Have you, did you ever never been there? No, okay. I've never heard of it out on the West side. It's like a tiki bar, right? Right, Kurt? Yeah, that's my, um, very popular. I think they had a mini golf course there. It's a, just a kitschy place, fun place to drink. Um, and it, uh, went under or the last it's last, it was last day recently, or it's last day is coming up. Yeah. Was recently. What, what they just couldn't compete. The demands of the industry drove them out of business or, or, uh, was it a, uh, supply chain thing like during the pandemic what drove them out i'm not sure i'm gonna have to do some more research on that but the thing is from what i can tell a lot of restaurants struggle during covid and just haven't been able to get back to where they're comfortable so yeah it's like it's that's the nature of the business i guess according to la eater some restaurants use service charges in lieu of tip Others, like uh, the uh, tapas bar Shuntos in Santa Monica, that's the one I wrote the ugly email to, note on the menu that service fees are not tips. Still other places include service charges, but do not clearly state the role of it on purpose, which can sometimes result in customers not leaving servers gratuities on their bills out of apparent confusion or frustration. This is so unnecessary. Just you know, for the $16, you're going to add to my $80 um, tab at the end. Just increase, you know, uh, uh, maybe by $4 uh, your appetizer and your uh, entree. And, and then I can tip of my own volition whatever I feel the people deserve. Now, this nice. is not rocket science. I don't understand why the um, why the mandatory generosity deal. I don't get it. They make things too difficult. You are correct. Also, I looked in MinPost today, and there's some joint uh, along uh, a patio, uh, the patio district, they're calling it now, at Selby and Dale, and then toward the cathedral, someplace called Revival. Does that ring a bell? It's supposedly around, like, between Macuban and uh, Selby, the Gnome, uh, Lagrola, uh, you, you know, Handsome Hog, you know that district right there. Yeah, I've never heard of revival. I've never heard of a lot of the places that have been closing. I've never, you know, been there in order to lament their closing since then. Right, it's a constant. I mean, didn't didn't the 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 old legendary places close during the pandemic? Was it uh, what's the place where they play the organ? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the old I, um, I can't think of the name of it, but it was not nice polonaise. Yes, exactly. And I think maybe Liquor Lyles or, or, or something Lyles, something or other, where Tiny Tim used to sing, that closed. A lot of places closed, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just wonder what the service charge is at our friends at Owamne, the politically correct uh, Native American restaurant. I'll bet there's some service charges there. 
probably that, that you don't uh, necessarily want to pay. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. Next story. Um, I've noticed a rash uh, uh, in the past month, let's say one per week of uh, celebrity suicides or um, someone, someone's life ends. They're found in their motel room and they're found in their home. They're dead. And then later the mother comes out and says, Oh, he didn't mean to end his own life. Usually it's some spindly jaundiced uh, peripheral actor on HBO or it's somebody like Sinead O'Connor, who's been dealing with uh, troubles, emotional troubles for years. Right. Mm -hmm. And they don't, the newspaper, uh, I, I don't know whether it's a change in policy or what, but they never tell how the person committed suicide, whether it was an overdose or whether it was a gunshot or what the deal is. Is it crass of me to wonder how they ended it? I mean, I had a guy uh, whose desk was not that far from mine at Thomson Reuters, Find Law, several years ago, who ended his own life. Um, and I don't know. I was I was just kind of curious. Sure. Um, who was it? Johnny Manziel. You know, th this, there's this new special on HBO a documentary about his life, about him attempting suicide. And he said the gun didn't go off. For the, I'm thinking, man, you're not trying hard enough. What you do then? <laughs> and you clean the gun, you get another gun, you hire somebody who has a gun, you know, and you get it done that way. You weren't trying hard enough. You obviously wanted to continue living the debauched life you were living. Amazing story about him being in Las Vegas partying the night before he was due back in Cleveland to start an NFL football game as quarterback. Can you yeah. believe that? It's hard to believe. I think these guys have it all, all laid out, but they're confused as so many others. He was going to spend all the money and then end his own life. That's how it was going to end. Johnny football. Yeah. I mean, I've just been reading stories. All the headlines I see is this like this, was it two this last year suicides are up like the highest they've ever been. So I don't know mm -hmm. what's causing all this. If it's the economy, I mean, there's just so many things you can blame it on, I suppose, from yeah. politics and the economy. Now, um, have either of you seen the movie Oppenheimer? Not yet. Okay. Have you heard this rumor? Uh, and I'm seeing it alluded to um, kind of between the lines in reviews. And I'm, I'm just wondering, why is this necessary? Why do I have to see Oppenheimer having sex. If this were a movie about Einstein, would I have to see Einstein uh, well, when, having sex? Kind I of don't curious. understand why, in order to humanize this historic figure, we have to lower him to our level that he would have a desire, that he would have a libido of some sort. Yeah. I guess sex sells, Bob. I don't know. It's basically, you know, who the guy playing Oppenheimer, is it Killian Murphy, Cillian Murphy? Yeah. Attractive guy. I don't, yeah. I doubt Oppenheimer was as attractive as Mr. Murphy. So it's yeah, like, not as attractive as the Kansas City Royals pitcher who is his, uh, who could be his double. Oh, really? His fitting image. Glass now looks oh. exactly like Cillian Murphy. Uh, people like are that. going up to him and asking for autographs. And I'm thinking, I bet they're asking for more than that, and I'll bet he's taking them up on that. <laughs> I mean, if, if I recall my um, Jose and Ozzy Canseco stories correctly from back in the day, Ozzy was constantly mistaken for Jose and um, and benefited from it uh, sexually. 
there had to be a lot of girls who were into Ozzy too, you know, the crazies and stuff like that. They didn't care if it was Ozzy or Jose. <laughs> that was back in the day when I think it, groupies were, are, are groupies as rampant as they used to be in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or you think it's toned down? What do you think? Good question. I just don't know. I haven't yeah. been out on the road with any uh, rockers lately, you know, so. Look into it. <laughs> you think, you think uh, uh, Taylor Swift's background singers or whatnot get approached by people? Well, possibly, probably. I would imagine so. Well, this kid she's supposedly dating or was dating is quite the quite the piece of work. He's just uh, but really out of control. But she's just a piece of work, too. Doesn't she just love him and leave him? Isn't that her modus operandi? She's got to write a song about breaking yeah. up. So she breaks exactly. up. That's... I think this, you know what? I think there's precedent for this, and it's called Adele. Mm. Weren't all of Adele's songs basically nervous breakdowns? Pretty and the much. women would flock to the Adele shows in order to share in the nervous breakdown with the tears streaming down their faces. Right. Uh, for these uh, ballads, these these groaning, this caterwauling that Adele used to do. Right. It's it's terrible. You feel sorry for him until you see all the money roll in. <laughs> um, on a completely unrelated topic, uh, I've been noticing from my international headlines that the African country of Niger is in the news. N-I-G-E-R. Did I tell you about this? This is a true story. This was no, we're not going to we're not going to go with that low level joke, are we? <laughs> you have to bear with me here. You have oh, to accept Bob. the pre as Letterman used to say, accept the premise, you'll enjoy the bit. Mm, cards and letters. I'm watching I'm watching C-SPAN like 25 years ago and my jaw just drops. Of all the companies, of all the broadcasters, fact-based broadcasters, C-SPAN, they're interviewing a guy from Niger. He's some sort of government official or something like this. It has his name and yes, it has the typo beneath his name. I could not believe my eyes. And yes, briefly, it was a scandal. C-SPAN apologized. Uh, and the, the government of Niger and the spokesperson being interviewed accepted the apology. But it was the weirdest thing I've ever, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. I haven't gone online to see if the visual has been preserved there because it's just, you just couldn't believe what you were saying. Mm -hmm. The guy's name and then, as if he needed further, as if he needed further more specific identification, <laughs> they had an ethnic ethnic slur below his name. I feel like I've heard this before. Did you do this on the old podcast back in twenty years ago? I feel like I've heard this. Uh, same it could have been even before that. As you know, the podcast uh, has uh, has opened up an avenue for material that wound up on the cutting room floor back in the day, so I could stay in the will. <laughs> but now that both parents are dead, I'm liberated. I can I can say anything I want. The dams are broken. <laughs> I think so. Um, let's see. Oh, you'll recall our most recent uh, podcast. Speaking of podcasts, which I think now are the one big bright book of life. D.H. Lawrence used to think that about the novel. I think podcasts now, anything are possible in podcasts. Uh -huh. In our most recent edition, uh, uh, one of the things that happened was what I have referred to uh, to friends as the who is Lou Adler debacle. I have something that will make you feel much better about that. And it came to me uh, after uh, thinking about it a little bit that in 1998, 
I'm watching the World Cup final, France, as God intended, thrashing Brazil three to nothing in Paris, Saint-Denis, 1998. And my then brother-in-law, who had just become a doctor, had his nose in medical books for like 20 years to be a particular kind of doctor, is watching the game with me. He's an Argentine uh, uh, immigrant, uh, married a national, my uh, former uh, wife's uh, sister. So we're sitting there in Dayton, Ohio, kind of the Beverly Hills of Dayton, because he was making some good money even then. We're watching the World Cup, and they get a shot in the stands of Sir Mick Jagger. And the announcer makes a note of there's Mick Jagger watching uh, France play Brazil. Mm -hmm. So help me God, Dr. Jose Irazusta, that's his name, turned to me and said, Who's Mick Jagger? Yes. Can you believe that? That a, that a human being in the year 1998, and the Stones had been in the news for 35 years by that time, did not know who Mick Jagger was. That's yeah. Man Bites Dog News, if you ask me. Yes. You are correct. So, I just So now don't you feel better about not knowing who Lou Adler I, is? I guess. Who I is Mick Jagger? This. I know, but you don't say who he's Lou Adler. I don't I don't I don't <laughs> it could be an it could be an LA thing. But yeah. this is a global thing. This was 35 years of the Stones okay. being in global news, and he turns to me and says, Who is Mick Jagger? Yeah, that seems odd. Just because I'm sure they played Argentina, I'm sure they they should have. Yeah, he he should have known. Mick Jagger was is just. You know, it occurs to me that a lot of uh, material from the '80s and '90s had to wait until my divorce, oh. and that I couldn't say anything about it until my divorce. And now I can tell you about the marriage, the wedding, rather. Uh, oh. That's the what the character generator generated for the. I was a videographer for their wedding. Okay. The marriage of the wedding, rather, I'll get it right. The wedding of Molly and Jose. That was the first thing you saw as you watched the playback of my the video that I and a man named Detlef, a member of the family on the burger side, uh, took of the wedding from the balcony of the church. It just so happens that earlier in that day, as Argentine migrants are wont to do, Jose talked some shit about the United States. <laughs> And this is while his country is dropping people out of helicopters to certain deaths. So I said, Detlef, you know what we're going to do? You see that uh, uh, big old uh, facsimile of old glory down there by the pulpit? We're going to give that bad boy a workout during this video of the wedding of Molly and Jose. So we open up the, uh, on a close-up of old glory in the background and then the wedding of Molly Jose and Jose in the foreground. Here comes the wedding party down the aisle and the organ music. Here comes the bride, blah, blah, blah. We gently dolly over to the wedding party. They come up to the uh, minister to say their vows and whatnot. But suddenly, oh, no, what's happening? The the camera POV is wafting back over to Old Glory for a, for a close-up of the Stars and Stripes. And this, this went on for like 30 minutes. They got the biggest kick out of it once they saw the playback because they know that we were kind of pissed off. And Detlef, with the uh, uh, benefit of hindsight, fast forward, I don't know, 30 years, is this big uh, uh, Trumper. You know, like, let's go to the Capitol Trumper. I mean, he was a rabid freaking Trumper, as it turns out. I, of course, went the other way philosophically. But it really felt good to stand up for old glory during the wedding of Molly and Jose.
I, I if I knew that um, I wouldn't uh, inspire another attempt to extort me for money uh, by my former wife, I would text her and ask her, where can I get a copy of the video of the wedding of Molly and Jose? Because it's, I'm telling you, it's a stitch. I imagine you never even got paid for that. I didn't ask to be paid. It was a labor of love. A labor of love. It was love. a labor of love of country. Oh, and they got what they so paid was, for. It was kind of a menage a trois, visually, now that oh. I think about it. The bride, the groom, and the American oh, yeah. flag. It was really very cool. Yeah. And that I, just, I just wish there had been a microphone present, because I would love to hear that behind-the-scenes DVD commentary as you're, as you're recording, because that would have been priceless. Probably, probably would have upset a few people too. <laughs> you know what? They'll fast forward a few decades, and they're still very happily married. And uh, uh, all the adopted children from the mother country uh, who could have been left behind, sitting in a in a uh, puddle of their own fecal matter, are now uh, upstanding, prosperous Americans, just by dint of his uh, nationalism for his home country. And he has he, he's a patriarch now. He has his home that he shares with Molly in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And then he has bought adjoining plots around him for all the children and grandchildren to live in. He is like Big Poppy or Big Daddy if you're into the Tennessee Williams thing. And they come to him with all of their emotional and financial needs. And he's just in high clover, man, every day of his life. He loves being the, you know, the, the source of all that uh, family uh, harmony. So there's a happy ending to this. Yes. He actually calmed down uh, with his, he, he's now, you know, uh, subduing his hatred for the United States. He despises Trump and the governor of his state, Ron DeSantis, and he's turned out to be an okay dude. I'm glad to report. So we have a happy ending here. Nice. Um, and the patriotism thing then reminds me to tell you about an online dating story uh, from, um, this would be, Post 2000, I'm guessing around 2003 or four, online was fairly new. Online dating, online dating was also new, and um, I struck up a an online conversation with a young woman, and we met uh, at the Green Mill. Uh, I doubt that there's that it's still there. Oh, I'm sure a Green Mill attached to a hotel. That's what attracted me in uh, Shoreview. It's it's still there. Okay, and it's on 694. Yep. Um, with inside of five minutes, once again, I can't make this up, but I got the get these stories out here for posterity. Inside of five minutes, we hadn't even been served drinks for our appetizers, and she asked me if I wouldn't mind joining her in a plot to kill the president of the United States, Barack Obama. Oh my gosh. Wait, Barack Obama, this was recent. Wow. Oh, no, you're right. This was at least 2008. That's right. Because <laughs> oh he became president in 2008. Yeah. So this was 15 years ago. Okay. She was from Alaska. And see, that's where it kind of made sense. It was because the Sarah vice Palin. presidential. Exactly. The, the, the VP candidate on the opposite ticket was from Alaska. Oh, so wow. I didn't put two and two together until after. Here's how it went. I wonder if you'd like to join me in a plot to kill Barack Obama. Check, please. You didn't put yeah. two and two together until after intercourse. Uh, no, there was no, no, it's, it stopped. Nothing, nothing makes me go like this. 
uh, than um, than being asked to join a plot to kill the president of the United States, no matter who it is. Yeah, but what if it happened opposite? If you had done the deed and then afterwards, pillow talk, she had said that. Then that, like, you would have felt so dirty. She would have used you and then, you know. That actually would have been the time to catch me when all the dopamine had uh, had completely, you know, was completely ruling my body. I would have said yes to anything. <laughs> But seriously, I can't make that up. That has to have happened. Has to. Okay. Um, oh. A neighbor recently moved. This was the one who moved to Alabama. Remember, I made a big deal of that. Don't move to Alabama. You know, don't visit South Carolina, that kind of thing. I remember. I found out who he was. And I looked him up online. He wrote his own. Are you having cat problems? I'm not I'm not liking how it looks in the in the in the in the frame. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm listening though. I'm listening. For a second there, I thought you'd gotten the big head. <laughs> um so I go in and I see that he's written his it's obvious he's written his own Wikipedia page because just about every sentence there's a uh parenthesis that says uh something like verification needed or something like this. So, so help me God, how many Wikipedia pages for celebrities or people in who consider themselves prominent in any industry includes the fact that they were prom king in high school, voted prom king. Would you want that in your Wikipedia page, even if it had happened? I, I mean, how far... How far does a person go back in the formulation of their Wikipedia page? Do you say that you hit a home run in Little League? I, f I feel like the people who I would be represented on Wik Wikipedia would not want that. But the people who would never, ever in a million years be represented on Wikipedia are the ones who would think that would be cool. You know what I'm saying? Like me, for example. I mean, I don't think that'd be cool, but I, a person like me who is not beyond Wikipedia. So Tell me why Wikipedia is constantly asking me for money. It's free. Every time I go to a Wikipedia page, there's an appeal for yeah. money. Where would that money go? Is there a Wikipedia company that it, governs? I guess it's the same thing as us. It's our thing. We're asking. We, we don't like to give this away for free. This this podcast. But so if people were to give us money, we would like we would say, give us some money, and we'll keep doing this. There's little costs and stuff. You know, it'd be nice. How to about have. we call it a, a service charge in lieu oh. of a tip <laughs> or a tip. <laughs> Give us all a tip. What you feel, or is we can increase the the price of the food. Yes, please do. Something else I found online since I announced a couple of podcasts ago that in my former church, the person uh, presiding over um, uh, the childhood uh, ministry of all places to put a bisexual announced from the pulpit that she was outing herself as a bisexual. So uh, apparently, there's a lot of this going around. I went to the, uh, and I invite anyone who doubts me to go to the website of Capitol Hill, that's Capitol with an O, just like the building in Washington, D.C. Capitol Hill Presbyterian Church, Washington, D.C., were revisited last year. And one of the reasons we visited was because I had checked out their live stream and the pastor was gorgeous. So I said, Marsha, we got to go see this woman. <laughs> I got to go here. The gospel preached by a looker. And this woman had all the, you know, she had all the, you know, the the 
religious uh, gestures down pat, and she seemed to know her scripture. And and after we attended the church, I went to their website. So help me, go to the About tab or wherever you can find information about the pastor. This is Pastor Rachel. That's how she likes to be addressed, Pastor Rachel, Capitol Hill Presbyterian Church, Washington, D.C. And you'll find that Pastor Rachel is described as a bisexual married to a man with two children. So here's my question. Is there a third party in this relationship? Has the bisexuality stopped? Why would you continue to describe yourself or allow yourself to be portrayed as a bisexual if you are married with two children? Does this mean that you're? it's an open relationship, that you're still dating around, uh, perhaps a, a, a chick on the side? How does that work? Don't you think bisexuality is just, it's just gluttony to me. It's just, you know, pick one. And isn't gluttony a sin? Yeah, you're right. That should, she shouldn't be preaching. She should last be. Night on, last night on Jeopardy, the winner of the second chance tournament was, called herself non-binary. What is the difference between non-binary and bisexual? And Ken Jennings kept referring to her as they. Mm -hmm. And I just said, Ken, cut that shit out. That's one person standing there. That's not a they. They would be more than one person. Well, <laughs> what do you make of this? I could describe it, but I don't know. I, yeah, it's something. <laughs> All I'm asking is, without editorializing, is I want someone to explain to me what is the difference between non-binary and bisexual. Okay. I just also I don't think, yeah. I don't. Why think would my youngest? go through all these surgeries and stuff in order to more closely resemble a man or a mannish woman in order to date women. Doesn't that strike you as strange? The heart. I just, you know, I, I, I feel for people for whom this is not, you know, the identity thing is not down pat conditioned from childbirth on, you know, that they should make it, parsed so finely lgbtq so help me god ia is what i'm saying so does that mean lgbtq in iowa is that what that means i think so i think you nailed it <laughs> i i they, they've <laughs> they put a such course. a fine they put such a fine point on this stuff that i can't i don't know like like my um my youngest sent me a text saying, congrats, Grandpa, because I was made a grandfather for the second time this week. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to text, but didn't. You too, niece, because I don't know whether she's niece or nephew. Oh. This is getting hey. really complicated, and you don't want to say anything that could hurt people's, people's feelings or be inaccurate. You know, they're working really hard to do this very specific sexual thing, and I I, it's it's making it's making life more difficult for the rest of us. Do this. It's what Jerry Seinfeld would do. He'd say, "Congrats, you." You know, something like very you know non. That's right. The, the, that's the episode where he couldn't remember the woman's name. Yes, exactly. That was the Mulva episode. <laughs> it was. Thought her name very might similar. be Mulva. Yeah. You don't know, so just say you. Yeah. I don't know. It's one it's... of the great lines in Bad Sisters. 
Have you seen the the Apple Plus? Um... I've, I've seen a couple episodes. I haven't watched everything yet. It's your fucking velvet. You can do what you want with it. That is the line of the year on any platform streamed sitcom or sit drama, if you ask me. You you mentioned the bear earlier. Did you decide to start watching that? Ten minutes in, I had to get out. My anxiety level was just raging. I, I dealt with deadlines, Kel, for 50 years professionally. I'm done with deadlines. To this day, I'm up at four, studio by five, on the air at six, in my head, because of 30 years of living that way. Right. I don't want to be anywhere near anyone, even if they're on TV, with the high-stress capitalism thing. I'm done. I know. I did that for a couple of years, and I still don't understand how I did did that i mean just the idea of getting up that early oh my goodness yeah here's another great show for you billions which i have not seen the new uh any new episodes of i think they're starting a new season or, or maybe have already recently and uh, one of their actors is coming here to the geffen playhouse and hmm. be in a play that i thought i wanted to see until i read his bio no no it says daniel isaac is a queer actor so here's what i did I emailed the Geffen Playhouse. I've become a little like Ben Stiller as Greenberg in that movie where he was always writing uh, complaint letters in pencil and sending them off to yeah, it to Starbucks right. and Apple and Google and whatnot. So I sent them this email and I said, my name is Bob Yates. I am a heterosexual retiree in the Pacific Palisades. And I want to know why I have to know that this man is queer. What does that have to do with his acting? Words have consequences. Consider using fewer of them. I really tell me why someone would want to refer to himself on his bio as a queer actor. What does one have to do with it? He's basically telling me I'm an actor and this is what I do with my genitals. I know it sounds painful. It doesn't have to be with the right lube, but uh, at night, before I go out to be with my fellow queers, I do a little acting. That's how I, that's my day job, which I do matinees and evenings in playhouses. Again, what, why is it that they are so smitten with what they do with their genitals that they can't leave it out of a simple sentence as to what they are professionally? I think it's just a pride. A pride is a, a month and proud is what they are. They're proud of their... Should should I be glad that he's not a necrophiliac? I Daniel thought. Isaac is a necrophiliac actor. Yeah. What if the woman in church had decided to out herself as a coprophagic? I mean, that would could really uh, be uh, embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And children in the congregation would hear that, and they would ask what that means. Yeah. And and start some dialogue. Parents would just go, "I'll tell you when you're older." You know. Yeah, but no people now people aren't waiting till they're older. You can have that question now with Johnny or Mary and talk to them right away about what it means to be that that person. Actually, I actually I wish my parents had done that. This is something I couldn't uh, uh, confide in you about or or your predecessors uh, on the radio while my father was alive. The closest we ever got to birds and bees was uh, before my debut as Little League catcher. And he had a box in his hand and he said, come with me. And we went into the restroom and he locked the door behind him. And I'm thinking, all right, weird time for it. But I'm up for some birds and bees talk. I've been wondering why my, you know, pants are going off like a Geiger counter whenever Jan Stroud walks by. Maybe he'll have a, an explanation for that. 
So he opens up the box and I'm already in uniform. I'm ready to go to the ballpark. <laughs> and in the box are an athletic supporter and a plastic protective cup. And I'll never forget what he said to this day. He said, put your stuff in here, meaning the pouch of the athletic supporter, and then slide the cup in under that. It's almost like something from a Judy Bloom uh, uh, movie for boys, okay? L like with the, the measuring of the bra, the first bra. So he comes in and tells me that that's as close to the birds and bees as he ever got with me. So that's why, you know, the crises now and again during college and so on. That's why with Marla Johnson, the backseat of that Ford Galaxy, I couldn't find it. I didn't know where it was supposed to go because he wouldn't tell me. It's it's weird how it's all generational. When we were kids, our fathers were very old school and they didn't always feel comfortable discussing it. They didn't want to discuss it. They went out of their way not to discuss it. Now, I feel like, at least for me, I'm more than happy. I'm like, son, let's sit down and talk this through. Let's let's let you know what's what. And he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with you, dad. No, I don't. I don't want to hear it. I, I get my, I, I learn what I need to know on the internet. I learn what I need to know from my friends, you know? So it's like, it's a whole new world, Bob. <laughs> and he's not a, a father. He's not a young father. <laughs> he's not a young father. He's, he's, wow. not, he's not, he's not. That's the other thing I think about these kids today. And I don't know, maybe it's just mine. It's not, it doesn't seem to be all about, you know, trying to pro I mean not like they're trying to procreate but they get it they say oh man a baby could come out of there I guess I'm not gonna I'm gonna be more careful I don't know if we're we were stupid when we were kids or what but it seems you've seen the stats though haven't you uh, every so often they come out with a survey and they arrive at a conclusion that young people of that age range late teens to late 20s let's say mm -hmm. are having less sex than ever before there you go and I don't know whether it's uh the tug of the internet having other things to do that you and I did not, right. but they just don't seem to be as interested in it. Yeah. I remember camping in Scandia at, at uh, William O'Brien and seeing almost no one on the premises. And I remember, and it was a beautiful day, you know, and, and I'm off on some little sandbar or something, drinking a beer, enjoying the, the beautiful weather. And I'm thinking, I'm looking around and I'm just about the only person around. I'm thinking, Thank you, God, for giving us the Internet to keep people indoors and allow there to be campsites all over the state where, where people like me can enjoy ourselves. And I think the same thing goes for the lack of, uh, you know, uh, coitus in this day and time among uh, people of that age range. There are too many other things to do. I think, Plus, you're right. you know, I've known women that uh, who, who uh, were just as. Uh, ill-equipped and uneducated as I, I, I could please myself uh, uh, quicker in order to get to the golf course than they ever could uh, pleasure me. So I would just say, here, I'll just take over from here and uh, you can uh, go on to book club or something. I think of the old joke, like I want to sit down and talk to some, talk to my son about sex. And he goes, okay, dad, what do you want to know? You know, that's the type of thing. I think they know more than we know sometimes. I begged, I begged my son. This is between the years. What would this have been? This would have been the 90s. I begged him from, let's say, age eight forward. I said, um, and especially as a teenager, I said, will you please ask me questions? Will you please mm -hmm. want to know this? I want to tell you this because no one told me. Yeah. I don't want you getting into the scrapes that I did. And he yeah. said, ah, don't exactly. worry about it. Mom's already covered it. Yes. Mom's already covered it. Mom? 
Yeah. Mom covered what it is to be a man? I don't think so. Yeah. Once again, there but for the grace of God go I. Happily married man in Fort Collins, Colorado. And um, to my knowledge, very few crises. Right. Of, of the same nature. So I just, all I'm saying is I think we we dodged a bullet there. They, they seem to make up their, I don't know. It's weird. Kids are funny that way. Sometimes they figure it out on their own and it's awesome. And sometimes well, you give them all condoms, the knowledge in the world and they still fuck up. So it's, it's maybe weird. condoms uh, look as yucky to them as they did to us mm. when we were growing up. We'll have to use one of those. Screw it. I'm not, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna try. This is silly. You know? Yeah, I know. I got a couple of stories to tell you, but I'm going to probably wait and tell them to you off air. <laughs> no, wait until, do what I did. Wait until the entire family is dead. And then in a podcast 30 or 40 years from now, just uh, give us this new avalanche of material of original found comedy. Yeah. Let let me uh, let me end with a radio story for you. All right. Once again, you're not going to believe that this is that this has happened. This would have been 1975. I'm off the air with a contest winner at radio station KXOL in Fort Worth. My boyhood radio station. I longed throughout my young adulthood of someday working for KXOL. It was the, as Reagan would call it, shining city on a hill, KXOL was. So I'm off air. I'm prepping a contest winner for how to go about receiving her prize. And I said, will you just uh, write down blah, 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 and send it to us here at KXOL? And do you know what she said? Would you spell that for me? What do you say? Can't make that up. Can't make it up. KXOL, would you spell that for me? Well, K is the little line with the two lines jutting off. No, I didn't go to go to those links. But uh, no. yeah, that was kind of a maybe a hint that I was about to go into a brave new world of uh, moronics that I never thought possible. You often wonder like what's on a person's mind when that happens. Like maybe they just got a jillion things on their mind and they ask a dumb question because they just aren't thinking, but man, you're right though. That's, you can't make that up. Um, addendum, if I may, a postscript, and then we'll close. I feel like a pastor. Yeah. Close the word of prayer. The choir will sing one more chorus and then we'll close with a word of prayer. Oh, by the way, I'm bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) With those of you who are non-binary or bisexuals, you can uh, come down and speak to someone of your ilk if that will make you feel more comfortable. We want to be welcoming here. There's a lot of welcoming going on out there. There's a little Cajun in that Southern accent. I like it. It's kind of (laughs) Louisiana-based. So I'll go even farther back. 1968, journalism class, Haltom High School, suburb of Fort Worth, Texas. And we're cutting up because the the boys and I are cutting up, meaning we're misbehaving, because uh, Buffalo Tales, the high school uh, paper, has just been put to bed. And uh, we're uh, misbehaving over in this annex of the classroom where the uh, nuts and bolts of the operation are happening. And there's a cassette there. This is the cassette and eight track era we're talking about. The cassette is unlabeled. If it had been labeled, I know we would have left it alone, but it was unlabeled. So when a person of that age range and that lack of maturity sees a cassette with three or four of his buddies, 
where's the nearest cassette recorder? We need to record some really nasty commentary on it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really nasty. For some reason, as I think back on it, I was put in charge of the C word, the dreaded four letter C word that uh, no one in his right mind would utter in public these days. But, but Bob, so what happens? So what happens? We find out later that on that cassette, beneath our obscene commentary, had been an interview with the incoming football coach, Joe Bob Tyler at Wichita Falls, which was an exclusive interview for the high school paper. So the sainted Irma Clark, journalism uh, mentor and uh, whatever you call the teacher back then, decided the next day to play the tape of Dorman Brumbelow's interview with Joe Bob Tyler. Hilarity did not ensue. Oh, my. And three or four of my buddies and I were called out of our separate classrooms at the time. Uh, we need to see Bobby H., please. And we were all herded to the principal's office, and it was as if, return to square one, we had just shot that bitch. Because we were herded into the principal's office and threatened with all kinds of discipline. Physical, corporal punishment type, suspensions, prison sentences, you name it. They threatened us with it. Wow. For for um for erasing over Mr. Brumlow, my uh, high school colleague's uh interview with the incoming football coach. <laughs> I was told I was told that as this this conversation went on on tape after Irma Clark had hit the play button, she goes over to sit down and then all of a sudden, you know, it's Larry Flint talking to Hugh Hefner, talking to Bob Guccione. Talking to Dice Clay, and she's just sitting there, and just her face goes slack, and the kids are going, what the fuck, teacher? And all hell broke loose. How how old again? I'm sorry. This would have been 1968. We were 17. Okay. 17 seems a little bit more. You can know those words. I feel like, for some reason, I was picturing you at 13 or 14, and I'm like, okay. I, I was saying things that I had heard, like, on the blacktop on the playground i didn't even know the the meanings of them were you from the hood just to be just to be filthy and um <laughs> i'm really amazed that we were allowed to graduate. <laughs> i'm amazed that we were allowed to graduate halton yeah. high school 1968 but seriously people capitol hill presbyterian church washington dc pastor rachel is a bisexual go there now and see if what i just told you isn't true and we'll uh, talk to you next week um welcome to our world how does this go? Albert River Woodworth. Good luck in the next world. God bless you, Jaime Robbie Robertson. Big Al. And we will, and we will uh, see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So long for now.